Father, let us get a glimpse of your glory today again in worship and fellowship and praise and exhortations, God. Let the, the word of God peel back right before our eyes your glorious majesty, Father God. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Bless God. Would you open up your Bibles to Psalm 51? As I do a sermon on personal renewal. Personal renewal. There we are. Personal renewal. There are times in the Christian life that we need to get right with God. And we're going to speak about these things. We need to draw close to God. We need to feel His presence in our life again. We need to have a sense of devotion renewed in our hearts because as we move through this world, it's easy to get cold. Amen? Amen. And though the psalm holds out many themes, uh, genuine repentance is one, and the steadfast love of God and His mercy is definitely another one, I really want to try to just highlight the renewal aspect. The renewal aspect. Uh, Prayerfully, you won't need this message today. But I can tell you now, you'll need it. (laughs) It's as simple as that. You might not need it today, but you will need it. Unless if the Lord tarries and you live another week, somehow, somewhere, you will need this psalm, this message in all our lives. Amen? Uh, Psalm 51, I will start with the title... Subscription, do we have that up there? <clears throat> to the choir master, a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. Excuse me. <clears throat> have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with a hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good design in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Let's pray. Father, like always, we're just grateful for your word. We thank you that you've given us. As we are pilgrims in this world, we're in it, but we're not of it. You have given us both your spirit 
in your word, which is a lamp unto our feet, Father God. I pray that all of us continually in our life, in our personal devotions, just have a higher and higher view of your word, Father God. I pray that your preaching and teaching of your word and personal study of your word has a special place in our hearts, Father God. The miracle of the scriptures, Father God, is a lifeline to your very heart, Father. Thank you, God, for the scriptures that are constantly encouraging us, informing us, drawing us closer to you. And yes, God, warning, rebuking, correcting, admonishing, exhorting. So we bless you, Father God, for your precious word, Father God. And I ask, Father God, if this sermon finds anyone, any of us, in need of personal renewal, somehow, some way, I pray that we leave here today touched by your Holy Spirit through his living word. In Jesus' name I pray. Renewal. I have a sip of water first. And its basic definition is a restoration of something back to its original form, a state of quality of something or someone or relationship is what we're speaking about today. David's crying out for renewal back to his relationship with God. He wants that quality he once had. Tonight's message is about renewal with a relationship, our fellowship with God. That's what David's crying out for. We understand the story of Bathsheba, we understand his sin, we know it well, but David is crying out for that personal renewal. He's missed something with God. As Christians, we will at times need renewal as we journey through this world of sin and temptation, or as we just work out our salvation of fear and trembling, life, spiritual life can be difficult. It can be difficult. It can be difficult for the pastor, be difficult for a mom, a father, just any Christian. Life is challenging. Amen? And to be aware of this and be aware that my greatest defense is being close to God, being hidden in, in, in the shadow of his wings. That's where my strength is. My strength isn't knowing about God. My strength isn't just hanging out with God's people. These things are necessary and they're important. But my strength is found close to God. Amen? I don't know where this sermon finds you today. I don't know where you are. You're really close to God? Or are you drifting? You don't even know it. Going through the motions on the outside... The scriptures show us something, that as Christians, we can go through the motions on the outside, but we can be struggling deeply, where? On the inside. We really can. We can can be in the congregation, we can shout hallelujah, and we can mean it from the depth of our heart. As we're in the presence of God, we can't deny truth, we can't deny the presence of the Spirit, we can't deny what we were singing, we were worshiping, but on the inside we can still feel like a trillion miles away from God and weak. I've chosen this psalm because it addresses this issue clearly and provides a sort of spiritual prescription on how to be renewed. Maybe there are certain steps and we're going to go through that. The renewal in this psalm and what we might need tonight might be different, and and I have to assure you of that. But the message really does apply to 
all of us at certain times in our life. There's a spectrum. David, without a doubt, his fellowship with God is, it's ruptured. I mean, he is so far away from God. This is a man that God himself confesses, he's a man after my my own heart. And to think that a man who wrote the Psalms the way David wrote and sung about the steadfast love of God and the sweetness of dwelling in his temple could actually fall so far from grace. What a cautionary tale for all of us, amen? I I love the Lord, I love His presence, I love to sing, I love to worship, I love to study His Word, I love to share with people the goodness of God. And when I read this, and I always get the 2 Samuel throughout the year, 11 and 12, when I get there, I cringe. I've never not cringed when I get to 2 Samuel 11, and it's David's fall. And and, and it's like, oh, I wish it wasn't there. I really, really do. But yet it is there. God's not shy to show people his children's failures. Amen? But there is a spectrum here. David at this point was beyond just read your Bible again. Sometimes that's all we need in personal renewal. You know something? I'm drying up a little bit over here. I used to spend some real genuine quality time in the Word. And I'm sort of drying up and, you know, something. And and, and that's all we need. Sometimes it's just personal prayer. Personal prayer starts to dry up and there's just distractions. And we're praying to God throughout the day. But we're not saying, God, I'm closing the door. I don't care about the children. don't care about the job. I don't care about the health. I don't care about the country. I don't care about the nation. I I don't care about anything. I want to spend some quality time with you. Reminding myself how much you love me. That's quality of prayer. That's being in the presence of God. David was beyond it. David needed divine intervention from a human source, Nathan the prophet. This sermon will help some people today to come back to God. I don't know where you are. As a minister, when John gets up or I get up, I, I speak to the congregation as people that love the Lord. That's the way I speak. I'm going to speak to people that you have the love of God in you, and you just you want correction, you want to get closer to the Lord, you, you, want, to, you want to exploit the love that's in there. But I've got to remember that you guys, and like myself, we walk through a real world. And the flesh screams at times, and Satan roams around most of the time, if not all the time. And uh, I want to make sure that you know you are hearing the words of the Bible that teach us to be careful that you stand, lest you fall. No temptation has overtaken you. That's not common to man. And it's my job to remind you that God is faithful and will deliver you. As you cry out to him. Historically, we would think that this psalm, his cry starts with 2 Samuel 11 when David falls into sin. Or it starts at uh, Nathan's rebuke. That's natural what you think. But really the psalm is starting out from David's heart of longing to be back to a place he hasn't been in a long time. It's been a year since he's been rebuked. It's been a year since he fell into sin, I should say. And it's been a long, hard year. So hard he couldn't even get out of it. 
that he needed God's intervention to come into his life and to bring him back to himself. He's pining over a lost spiritual state where joy and gladness was his daily lot. This simple childlike faith that at one time slew Goliaths. This simple childlike faith that has written some of the sweetest psalms there is. As David, he plummeted the love of God so much that the one thing he sought, the one thing he desired was to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And to dwell there. And to do what? To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. This man longs to get back to God. His spiritual state of mind and heart, this melody of soul, this instant access to God and to his nearness and to his presence that he had for many years, never ever interrupted. Though he was a man, is now gone. This man is dead on the inside. Don't make no mistake about it. Please understand something. To sin against God is painful. But when you love God with all your heart and you sin, it's like death on the inside. David has experienced spiritual death on the inside. Please understand that. Before we analyze the sin, before we analyze the cry of the heart, let's analyze where the grace he fell from that God wants to restore. God missed David as much as David missed God. He's empty, he's dead on the inside, but he's still the king. He's still the king, but he's only the king functionally. Not spiritually or experientially. He is neither enjoying God personally in his life, nor is he executing his role as the king and minister of Israel from a joyful place. He's functioning, but that's about it. We can function like the pastor can function as the pastor. The worship leader can function as the worship leader. The husband can function like a husband. The wife can function like a wife. But the spiritual aspect, the practical aspect, the experiential aspect of enjoying it can be dried up at times. Amen? Life and ministry for this man has just got real, real hard. And the question I ask, we can all fall into this. We're all on the spectrum. It's all there. We can fall away from God while I'm preaching the very word of God. And we shared this, and I went into a a series, I don't know, maybe it was last, I don't even remember, last year, about how many ministers have fallen into sexual sin. Within a short week, I've heard five or six ministers, some nationally known ministers that fell into sexual sin. One man I followed, I I loved his sermons, I enjoyed listening to him. And and when I heard, I was like, i got to remind myself, they're just men. i got to remind myself, I'm just a man. And my only sanctity and strength is being close to God. We're going to find out that David started drifting away from God. But anyway, where are we today? Maybe you just need to get back to church and you'll be fine with the Lord. Maybe you get to pick up your Bible again. Maybe you get to get to prayer again and this will repair your soul. But maybe we need something deeper. Maybe you've fallen that far away from God. 
You see, David in 2 Samuel chapter 11, when the kings were to go out to war, it says that David stayed home in Jerusalem. Dereliction of duty. He was not doing what David the king was called and anointed to do. Lead the armies of Israel out to battle. And what happened? Well, the rest is history. He got caught up looking at his friend's wife, naked, bathing. Temptation gripped him. He called, had to come, fell into sexual sin. She had a child. He tried to kill the husband. That didn't work. Uriah the Hittite found out that he was a more noble man than David. When he came back from the front, he would not sleep with his wife while his soldiers underneath him were battling out on the front line. So he slept outside the door. And we know the rest is history. He has Bathsheba's husband murdered. From a lust with the eyes to falling into adultery to planning his demise, trying to cover the whole thing up, he has, a, he has him killed. And for a year after this, David was dying on the inside with his sin. Really thinking that he's pulling something over. He, he's thinking nobody really knows, though the nation knows. And we come to the subscription of the psalm, and it says, To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. It was so thick, his shame and his guilt was so thick. Such a wall had been built up. That only intervention in bringing him back to personal renewal, to the joy of his salvation, with a willing spirit would do. And that's what God did. God sent the prophet Nathan, which was also a counselor of David, was a friend of David. And the rebuke comes that David, you're the man. You're the one who has taken another man's wife. You're guilty. You're guilty. David needed that. Open rebuke. To get the stage set to bring in David back to wholeness. David was so far gone in heart that only divine intervention would do, and God used a human agent to speak to him, to call him out. If I move right away into application, we need to recognize how many times we need God's people to speak life into us. Whether it's before a fall, during a collapse, or after the collapse, we need God to step into our life, maybe through a sermon, Maybe through a pastor, a leader, a spouse, a close friend. We need God to step into our life, otherwise it will be ruined. 
David's house wasn't far from the temple. David's house wasn't far from the presence of God. But yet David was still in his heart a trillion miles away from that sweet fellowship with the Lord and being right with God. And I ask so many times, people, is God speaking to you through a sermon? Is God speaking to you through a friend? Is God speaking through you through a leader, a spouse? Is your wife speaking to you? Is your husband speaking to you? Is God trying to get your attention over something in your life? Listen for the Lord. He's always speaking. He's never mute at all. He's always trying to get our attention. He's always trying to get us to know us. This is where we're at. Always. The first thing David has to do after the open rebuke by Nathan... God's divine intervention is he cries out, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. This is the beginning of renewal. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. See, David, the first thing after the intervention is appeal to God. David's first move after the rebuke is directly to the mercy of God. Where else are you going to go? Are you going to offer something to God? Well, God, I'll offer you a sacrifice. David already says that God doesn't delight in sacrifices. It's a broken spirit and a contrite heart. God will never deny. Nathan's role is over. David's sin has been brought to the light. Now he's left with only his shame and his guilt to cover him. And he runs to the only place you can run, and it's to the mercy of God. And he makes the appeal to wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. The mercy of God and his abundant love is the only thing that could wash the stain of his sin and the memory of it how he how it the memory of the sin fested for a full year how he took another man's wife had that man killed how he was destroying himself and he was destroying the reputation of Jehovah how he was destroying the city of Jerusalem how he was destroying the people of God everything needs to be restored this memory haunted him And if we associate Psalm 32 with this psalm, he says, my bones were crushed and broken on the inside. Psychosomatic. He's he's ruined. He's undone. But a tormenting memory that stuck to him every day, every night. And David has only one leverage. It's God's steadfast love. It's its covenant love. He makes appeal to nothing else at all but to God himself. And that great, wonderful attribute we all feast on daily. God's faithfulness to his covenant. David knows he don't deserve it, but he knows that God has chosen already to love him unconditionally God's love towards David has not waned at all this is not arrogance please the unbeliever thinks it's arrogance oh I can just sin and just just keep on sinning that grace may abound that's what I'll do 
They don't understand something that this is the heart of biblical religion. God has revealed his grace to sinners. Period. Only God can reveal this about himself. Mankind can never think. And he moves from the appeal. The first motion after the rebuke. After the intervention. On his way to renewal. After that intervention. That brings everything to the light. He goes and he makes an appeal to God. Based on nothing else. But God's steadfast love. And his covenant towards David and to Israel. And he moves on to confession now. After intervention. After the appeal. He makes personal confession for he, for he says, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. I can't get away from it, God. All I see is Bathsheba. All I see is my sin. All I can see is I killed her husband. All to cover up the crime. I couldn't get out of myself, Father God. It's there. It was there. It's never going away and it's tormenting me every night. It's ever before me, Father. I confess, God. Against you and you alone have I sinned and done what was evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words that clearly condemn such behavior, paraphrasing. And you are blameless in your judgment. I should be stoned to death. God, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity in my sin and in sin did my mother conceive me. Confession of this sort can never, ever, ever be made by an unregenerate religious person. Never. This is a heart that's been renewed by God, that can see the depth of sin. Confession is the, the beginning part of experiencing renewal, it's the beginning of being washed. It's the beginning of coming back, confession, deep confession. And sometimes some people can fall so far away from God like David, and this is the beginning. Sometimes i got to say, oh God, how do I not pick up your word anymore? How do I not pray? How do I not fellowship? Why is church like, if I go, I go. If I don't, I don't. Well, you know, God, how do I get to this place of having such a low view of church, such a low view of prayer, such a low view of Bible... What happened to me, God? My foot had almost slipped. If it wasn't for your grace, open me in a sermon and rebuking me, I'd be lost. See, we all think it's, it's it, when you get to the end that God says, well, now I'm concerned for your soul. Now that you've fallen into the worst of the worst, now I'm here to help you. No, God's there to help us. He was there to remind David it's your duty to go out to war. As Christians, we need to know our duty. With each line of confession, David reveals the depth of his sin. And David has a genuine perspective on this. He sees not only his own personal sin, but through it he can see that he belongs to a sinful creature conceived in the womb, otherwise known as totally depraved. Under the right conditions and circumstances, All of us can act like brute beasts as David did. Conceived in sin, he is a sinner. He's not a man who sinned. 
He's a sinner who's also a man. From my mother's womb, I've had this beast in me. From my mother's womb, I fought the lust of the flesh. I fought Goliath from, from, uh, from my youth. I fought the enemies of Israel from my I fought all of them, God. But the greatest fight that lay before me was the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh. Conceived in sin. It's personal confession of the depth of his weakness that he's aware of. This is not something David's saying, oh God, I've been pure all my life on my inside, my heart. But, you know, I had a bad hair day and I looked and Bathsheba was there running around naked. And so I reached out and I took. David is saying, no, I've struggled and I fought and it finally got the best of me. But he knows that his sin is ultimately against God. Against the law of God. And no defense is offered in this confession. Because there is none. And that's what confession is. When we move past intervention. And intervention pushes us right to the loving kindness of God and covenant fidelity. And we make confession and we let it all hang out. We got to just let it all hang out. The washing begins. And he goes on to say in verse 6, 7, 8, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach wisdom in the secret heart. He says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness again. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. David's sin and open rebuke leads him to see that sin is not just an outward action, but it's an inward motive. Truth in the secret place is what God desires. True religion is of the heart, not of just the act. We think God's concerned about the fruit and not concerned about the root of the issue, the heart. Are we part of a religion that just runs around trying to be better people while hatred is stored up on the inside, while lust is stored up on the inside, while criticism is stored up on the inside, where I'm better than everybody else is stored up on the inside, and God's happy with that type of religion? Of course not. He's asking to be purged in the fullest sense of full washing on the inside. He knows that something on the inside needs to be done. He's not concerned with the appearance. The hypocrites love the appearance. They love to have their long prayers in the marketplace. They love to give their alms so everybody can see. They love to practice their religion so everybody notices them. But they don't let their left hand not know what their right hand is doing. The hypocrites go for that. David knows that this is much deeper. Something real needs to take place here. This man's conscience needs to be renewed. It needs to be restored. This is a relational plea with God of restoration. His conscience is tormenting him, and rightly so, 
for a full year. David says here that you did not let my bones rejoice. Your hand was heavy upon me as I kept the sin to myself. Day after day it became heavier and heavier and heavier. God would not let this man rest one moment. Only a Christian, please hear me, Christian man and Christian woman. It's only the born again believer, only, only the born again believer that knows, that he knows, that he knows that God has jurisdiction over the mind and the heart. All religion is talking about being a better human being. The external. And Paul says that his gospel, according to his gospel, Jesus Christ is going to judge the thoughts and intentions of men's hearts. It's not even the act. It's the intention. He's broken and condemned, self-condemned on the inside. He has no rest. He has no peace. God is making life harder and harder on King David. And praise God that he does. Praise God that he does. And so he appeals to God. Let me hear gladness again. Let me rejoice in the temple. Let me pray the harp. Let me, let me play the lyre. Let me, let me sing a psalm to you of your goodness and your steadfast love which endures forever. Let me lead the procession to the holy of holies. Let me take the armies out to war again. I'm drying up. I'm dead on the inside. Restore me to where I was before when life was simple. When praise and gratitude flowed from my lips out of my heart. Your presence was strong day and night. Even in the battlefield I knew that a thousand can fall on my left and ten thousand on my right. But no harm would come to me because your presence was there at all times, oh God. And I'm in this room for a year. I'm dying on the inside. You got to do something wonderful in me, God. Which leads him to verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, God. And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. And take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation. And uphold me with a willing spirit. Restore me to the former love. The former obedience I had to you. David now confesses something. What he's confessing is this. David needs a miracle. Restoration to God is nothing less than miraculous. This is not, you know something, when I'm feeling better, I'll I'll, I'll get back to God. When I I clean myself a little bit, I'll come back to the Lord and and I'll sing again when I feel like it. And I'll rejoice again in His presence when, when I want my way. No, David's saying, create me. The, the Hebrew word is barah. It's the same word that God said. And God created what? The heavens and the earth. It's a miracle word. Only God can do it. Create in me out of nothing, God. Bring back a clean and steadfast spirit that I once had. I can't do it. It's totally gone. It's totally eradicated. It is 
dead. He needs a miracle. And this heart is a right spirit and a willing spirit. And these speak of the whole inner man. Paul teaches us this in 1 Corinthians. For who knows the person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? See, David's cry, your cry, my cry might be a little different. You know what's going on in your life. I know what's going on in my life. I know the areas of my life right now as I speak, I want to see a restoration in. I wish I could say to him, man, I'm totally restored. I'm perfect. I know you think that. (laughs) Who in this room can stand up and say, I don't need restoration anywhere in my Christian life? Please counsel me after this meeting. I say that as hyperbole, just to make a point. Rarely are we on all 12 cylinders constantly and consistently. There are areas of our life that we need to get close to God. There are areas of life we need to submit to God. There are areas of our life that need to come under His control again and to be restored again. Am I speaking to anybody? You know your heart. David knew his heart. I know my heart. We know each other. We know what lurks in our own thoughts. David has already confessed the depth of his sin. He's confessed the root of his sin. He's he's conceived in sin. He's utterly sinful, like all men. And true religion to David begins here, not in outward things, but the inner heart. As you already said, for you do not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it to you, O God. You will not be pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. He will never or can he despise. This is an inward evaluation. Where are we today? What what kind of evaluation, self-awareness and self-evaluation has taken place as we hear this sermon, as I prepare this sermon and God is speaking to my heart? Before I even get up here and to preach. And where are you today? What does this find us today? What needs to be restored? If anything. But he knows a miracle needs to be placed. I need a miracle. You need to create in me a brand new start with you, oh God. I can't do it myself. And he goes on to say, but uphold me also with a willing spirit. David knows that he needs a a miracle of grace, but he also needs God's daily support. God's not going to snap his fingers and everything changes overnight. Coming back to one service might be the beginning of restoration, but it's not the end. Coming to prayer might be the beginning of restoration, but it's not your daily bread. Pick up the Bible again and reading your Bible and praying with your family might be the beginning But it's not over. A willing spirit, a a daily spirit to wake up and do it again and then wake up and do it again and then wake up and do it again and do it again until I come home to be with you, Lord. Who doesn't need daily bread? Who doesn't need grace today? 
he goes on to say, besides daily bread to overcome the inner temptations, restore me to the joy of your salvation. Cast me not away from your presence. David moves now from the negative aspects of his sin and his confession and his crying out to the positive ends of a restoration of joy the God of his salvation brings. These are the positive aspects of faith. For need and forgiveness in its legal sense. That's what the atonement was for. God can offer steadfast love to the covenant because the sacrificial cult was put in place. He knew that he had this steadfast love from God because the sacrifice made him right with God. He knew legally he was forgiven in the legal sense. He's moving past that now. He's right with God because of the sacrifice, because of the covenant. He's moving past the washing in an experiential sense to remove the guilt, to remove the shame. When sin just, past sin just owns you and it gnaws at your conscience and it it tears you down. He's moving past that now to the more practical experience of salvation. A daily joy of God's presence in his life. Your presence in my heart and in the temple. I haven't had God since that dreaded day. I didn't go out to war and I looked and I fell into sin. I haven't felt your presence, God. I haven't felt the joy of your salvation. I haven't felt any gladness. As a matter of fact, you're breaking my bones on a daily basis on the inside. I miss you, God. Restore me to enjoying you. On a daily basis. I know your steadfast love. I know I'm forgiven. I appealed to your steadfast covenant love. I made confession, Father God. I know a broken spirit and a contrite heart. You won't deny. I know it, God. But now I need the the experiential side. I need you. I need to feel your love in my heart again, God. Please, don't let me leave the temple without feeling your presence again in my life. I need the joy of your salvation. It's my strength, oh God. If if your presence doesn't go with me, I can't leave, God. This is more than just a simple, I need you, God. This is a deep cry of the soul that says, I can't live without you anymore. I can't. I don't want to. I don't want to go out of church. I don't want to go out of this. I have to change once and for all. I need you, God. And he goes on to say in verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. And sinners will return to you. Out of nowhere he turns into the evangelist. The happy evangelist. The renewed evangelist. And ver- I'm just going to close with verse 13. And he goes to show the natural effects of a restoration with God. He doesn't say I'm going to dance around and write psalms. He doesn't say, I'm going to shake the tambourine. I'm sure he did all these things. But the first cause and effect, this is the effect, is to share with others. 
And I want you to miss that. David knows that he is not alone in Israel who's going through this scenario. And he's saying, God, you've accepted me the worst. This steadfast love is for all in Israel. And not from some self-righteous approach, get right with God, but from a tender place as a grateful recipient of God's steadfast, I'll never quit on you love. That's where we evangelize. That's where we encourage. That's where we encourage other people. That's where we strengthen other people. As Jesus told uh, Peter, when you're restored, go back and strengthen your brothers. When you get over yourself and how well you think you are and how great you think you are and you find out you're really a coward, when I restore you, go back as the restored apostle and encourage your brethren. That's what kind of community we are. Application. I just want to go over this first. Remember, when it comes to restoration, God restoring us, many times we'll start with an intervention. It could be this, today's sermon. It could be a friend. It could be a spouse. God is speaking to us. Then there's the appeal to God's goodness and His steadfast love that there is no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus. That's, that's our cry today. There is no condemnation for me, O God, for those who are in Christ Jesus. Your steadfast love is forever, Father God. I confess the depth of my sin. I confess that I'm a beast on the inside. I confess, Father God, that I'm wayward, I'm indifferent. I I have a low view of you. I have a low view of everything. And I'm living for myself. I confess, O God. Now, God, come and wash me thoroughly from the inside, Father God, and not just for a moment, not just for a short season, but every day restore a willing spirit. I never want to go backwards again in my life, Father God. I don't want to have to go through this again, Father God. And then wait upon the Lord to restore you to the joy of your salvation. But I want to apply a couple things here. There are times in our life we need intervention pure and simple and this is why shame and guilt will enclose you behind an invisible wall so thick and so high you can't get out of it you can't get out of it there are things when you love the Lord and you find yourself doing those things that God hates and sinning against God it's not so easy to say, oh, let me I'll go share my sin with somebody. We get slowly but surely closed in. And God's goodness comes through intervention. And it's the beginning of being healed. I've seen this personally. I've seen this in so many other people's lives. I see it consistently in scripture. There comes a time where nothing else but the loving kindness of God intervening into our sinful life, our backsliding life, will do. It can come through a friend, a pastor, a sermon, a phone call, but also we can be used by God to speak to other people's lives. Nathan wasn't just a prophet. 
He was David's friend. And that's important to know. He was David's friend. How can we possibly make it in this sinful world without being close to other Christians? How can we? How can we possibly do it? I ask you. This last one. This psalm I serve believers in both testaments says either one or two things. It's either a cautionary tale of what could happen if we're not careful. If we're not doing what the Christian is called to do. Anything is possible. And also it's laid out before us as one of the greatest examples of God's steadfast covenant love to those he has chosen before the foundations of the world. You can't outrun the love of God. You can't outrun. We will all live on Psalm 51. Some of us will feast on it more than others. But Psalm 51 nurtures every believer's heart. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word. Father God, I thank you for personal restoration. I thank you for restoring us, Father God, to the joy of our salvation. But I pray for your people today, Father God. I pray that everyone who listened to your word today, Father God, I pray that you prick their hearts and speak to them, God, because you love your people so much that you don't want them just getting by. You want them to enjoy your salvation. You want them to know what it is to live with a willing spirit, Father God. You want them to know gladness in the innermost parts of their being where truth is, Father God. You you want your people to thrive spiritually in this moral wasteland we live in, Father God. Oh God, I just pray for all of us. Let there be a sense of renewing happening right now in our lives, Father God. That we can draw close to you and we can hear you singing over our lives. Once again, I ask in Christ's precious name.